You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, like Riz said, my name's David. Uh, you probably know that it's me teaching if this table is here because it's higher and I'm taller, and so I just need something that's more uh, my size. Um, <laughs> this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series on the book of James. This is week six. Uh, if you've been here before, you've been tracking uh, along. If you haven't, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a some context briefly before we get into it. We're going to kind of be finishing off in chapter 1, uh, starting off in verse 19, working our way through 27. Uh, before we get into the text, uh, if you can turn with me there, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27, I'm going to be using the ESV version. Uh, it's not better than any other one. It's just the one I use, and so I want to do what's familiar to me. It's easier. Um, and... I encourage you to follow along as we read, and I'm going to invite Emery to come up and to read from our text uh, this morning. All right. James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Samarie, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the gift of your word this morning. We, we thank you for this letter that James wrote, um, God, that has been preserved for us today. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to be able to gather here as your body, Lord, a community that uh, is centering ourselves around you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak uh, through me. God, that uh, you would speak what you want to speak and communicate to us through the word, God, and most of all, that we would be open and receptive to what you're asking us to do in response to the word this morning. Help us to, uh, to apply the word of the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, Emery. Uh, before we get into chapter 1, we're just going to touch briefly on a few key background points. I know Pastor Riz has mentioned these, um, but it's always a good refresher, uh, especially if you haven't been with us this morning, uh, in the past few uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, we know that the author of the book of James was James, who was the brother of Jesus. And that's important to know because James is going to use a lot of Jesus 
uh, and I'm going to point that out uh, this morning. And he was also a key leader in the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to primarily or predominantly Jewish believers um, that have been scattered for the most part outside of uh, the land of Israel all over the Roman Empire. He addresses them in verse 1 of chapter 1 as the 12 tribes in the dispersion. What's interesting about James is that it's technically a letter. Uh, But if you read past the first few verses, and especially when you read to the end, uh, you would notice that it doesn't look like most other letters. It kind of departs from the typical form of most other New Testament letters. And what's interesting about James is that James isn't necessarily concerned with teaching new theology. But rather, and he's not even addressing necessarily a specific issue within the church. Uh, A lot of like the book of Romans is addressing uh, disunity in the church. And everything about the book of Romans is written to address that issue. Uh, We don't find that necessarily in uh, the letter of James. Rather, he communicates wisdom that is applicable for every community of Jesus. And that includes uh, us here today at Reality Honolulu. And because of this, James is going to use two primary sources. Uh, He loves these two sources, and he uses them frequently. Uh, One is the book of Proverbs, and we're going to talk about that too today. And then Jesus, which I already mentioned. There's over 20 instances throughout the five chapters of James where you can find direct parallels to the words of Jesus, which makes sense, right, since James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, He would have heard Jesus quite frequently Uh, talk. And so, again, James isn't concerned with teaching new theology. He's reminding the church of something that was previously spoken, namely uh, Jesus, and in particular, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And what's tricky about James, at least for me, is that it has no clear discernible structure. This was frustrating for the first few days of my study, because what I want is clear, one, two, three, done. That's not James, and so I have to drop my expectations and try to uh, get into the mindset of the author and the readers and be like, okay, James, whatever you got, I'm going to try my best to go with that. Uh, Rather than a clear structure, he kind of talks about several key themes that you'll find introduced in chapter one and then reintroduced in chapter one and then re-reintroduced throughout the rest of the letter. The three main themes, and Pastor Riz has already talked about each of these, is trials wisdom, and then this kind of dichotomy between the rich and the poor. And so uh, you'll see those three things kind of come up. And if you're like, we've already heard this before, uh, we've already talked about this before, uh, you're in good company because that's James's point, right? Repetition is key to us actually learning and receiving and understanding. And so James kind of employs that uh, in his uh, communication, Some advice when reading the book of James is first to to note that James is practical and straightforward. It's practical and straightforward, and uh, we need to allow James to make us uncomfortable. That's kind of the point. He's straightforward. He's direct. He's challenging, and we need to receive that challenge, I think. It should make us uncomfortable. Uh, Tim Mackey, the Bible Project, my favorite Bible teacher, one of them, says this about the book of James. It's a beautifully crafted, 
punch in the gut for those that want to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been punched in the gut. Um, I have not, at least in my memory, maybe my older brother did at some point, but that's uh, Tim Mackey's perspective on the book. And we kind of need to receive that from time to time. Uh, we're going to be going through chapter 1, 19 through 27. And although it's not chronological, we're just going to take paragraph by paragraph. And there's three paragraphs. And each paragraph kind of has its own kind of heading that I've just gotten out of the text. The first uh, three verses is going to have to do with receiving what James calls the implanted word. The second is... Uh, hearing and doing the word. And then the third, uh, the last two verses in verse 26 and 27 is concerning pure and undefiled religion. And so that's a little bit of where we're kind of headed. Uh, So in the midst of jumping in and out of James, kind of just know that that's some of the main ideas that are being uh, communicated. Uh, Let's look at James chapter 1 verse 19. And he begins with an imperative. He begins with a command. He's getting straight To the point, he says this Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This imperative comes to us in the form of what's called a proverbial saying. And it's similar to those found, guess where, in the book of Proverbs, concerning the importance of measured speech, which finds its home in ancient Jewish wisdom tradition. For example, here is a proverb from chapter 18, verse 13 that says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Kind of sounds like what James was just talking about. In verse uh, 11 of chapter 19, we see that it also says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We're going to continue to notice this theme throughout the letter of James. Again, remember, we're talking about uh, the use of words. James is going to pick this up later on in chapter 3, and he's going to get into a little bit more uh, detail about what that actually looks like in the life of the believer. I think James may also have in mind uh, the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 through 37, Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment... People will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So it seems like James is picking up on the wisdom of Proverbs and the wisdom of Jesus, emphasizing the importance of words and speech in the life and the community of God's people. If you were to just think about your own life and the use of your words, I think you should uh, kind of from time to time evaluate how you use your words. And I would like to even broaden it. How do you communicate? Don't just think of verbal words, but what do, how do people perceive you and know about you by the way that you communicate uh, on social media, for example? Both James and Jesus emphasize the importance of controlled speech in the life of the believer. James goes on in verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, to say that human anger, which comes from your inability to control your words, is in direct contrast to the righteousness of God. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness 
of God. So the question that we should stop real quick and ask ourselves is, what does James mean by the righteousness of God? Again, this isn't the Apostle Paul talking about this, and our idea of righteousness may come from uh, some of Paul's arguments. But in James's case, most likely, what righteousness means is this. It has to do with the right kind of behavior God desires to see in our lives. So James makes a contrast. He says, hey, your inability to control your words is not producing the right kind of behavior that God desires. And James is concerned about right behaviors. The way you talk, the way you act, the way people perceive you is a theme throughout the book of James. James seems certain that words are important. Communication that is not exercised in wisdom can be a major inhibitor of godly living in our lives. I don't know if you've ever made that connection, um, but we know that the Bible talks about it's, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So essentially your words are just communicating what is happening inside of you. What, is, what do you believe? That belief is going to be reflected in the way that you speak. And so James emphasizes here, once again, the importance of how we communicate. And again, James is writing to a church. He's writing to a body of believers. And so essentially, first and foremost, we need to think about how do we communicate with one another? How do we speak about our brothers and sisters here in reality Honolulu? Do we use our words to build up one another? Or do we use our words to tear other people down? It first starts with us here. And then, of course, we want to know uh, how we use our words uh, outside of this place in our everyday lives. So if righteous living is what James desires for his readers, the question again is, how do you begin to live that way, right? If we're going to be uh, careful in our speech so that we can uh, practice the righteousness of God, then how do we actually do that? In James chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, Therefore, in light of that, put away all filthiness, which uh, can be translated as moral filth, and rampant wickedness, which again can just mean abundant evil. Sounds a little bit extreme, right? James is writing to a church, and he's saying, hey, if you want to produce God's righteousness, you need to put these things away. Rampant evil? What kind of church is this, <laughs> right? Moral filth? But I think if we were just to stop, we would, we would be able to recognize, hey, there are some things in my life that run a little bit rampant, that inhibit me from producing uh, the right kind of behavior that God desires, this idea that James communicates is putting away can also be translated as to set aside. So he says, put away these things or set these things aside. Set aside behaviors that are contradictory to the righteousness of God. Set aside beliefs that don't align themselves with the word and the teachings of Jesus. We need to recognize those things and we need to strip them out of our lives. This idea is literally to take off some dirty old garment. This is a proactive thing that James is communicating. It's not something that just happens. You have to proactively recognize things that are contradictory to God in your lives, beliefs and behaviors, and then take them, remove them, so that you can now produce God's righteousness. You can now live according to God's plan and standard for your lives. Uh, there are several 
uh, places throughout the New Testament that talk about this same type of idea. Here's just one example. Uh, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, Paul says, I'll just read, but now you must put them away. So same language that James is using, and he's going to give us a little bit more detail. What do you mean, Paul? Put what away? He says this, anger, which James talked about, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Again, the same things that James is referring. Paul says you need to put them away. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. So again, Paul is using the same idea as James uses. He's saying, hey, there's things in your life that you need to strip off, you need to remove. And he describes it as your old self. Before you met Jesus, how did you behave? How did you talk? How did you think? How did you act? How did you speak? And he says, hey, as a, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, there's no place for that anymore. Strip it out of your life. Remove it from your life so that you can replace it with your new self that's being renewed in the image of his creator. James says that that is the righteousness that God desires to see in his people. There's an exchange that must take place. There is an exchange. And James is going to uh, continue to talk about this because he's going to essentially say, you need to remove that in order to then receive something else. And look with me at verse 21. He says, he says receive with meekness or humility. The word meekness is kind of a weird word. I don't really use it, but the word means humility. The implanted word, which is to save, able to save your soul. So here's the exchange. Here's the contrast that James is making. He said, if you want to produce the righteousness of God in your life, you need to remove the old and replace it or exchange it with the new. And he uses this idea of the implanted word. He doesn't say old self, new self. He says the implanted word. Now, he doesn't define it there. So we have to ask ourselves as James, what do you mean by the implanted word? What am I supposed to be receiving in exchange? It's a great question. Let's keep reading because James is going to continue with this idea of the word. He's going to continue talking about this implanted word in uh, verse 22 through 25. And he says this, but be doers of the word, referring to the implanted word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." So James talks about receiving the implanted word, and then he goes on to say that you need to actually do it, not just hear it. But at this point, we still don't know, James, what do you mean by the implanted word? What word are we supposed to be doing? I'm going to have you guys do a little activity. It's a little unorthodox, but you guys need your Bibles, and you need somebody to talk to, or the person next to you. I guess you don't have to, but it's more fun that way. So I want you guys to do a little bit of work on your own instead of me just coming straight out and telling you. Luckily for us, we know that James loves to use Jesus. And Jesus says something almost the exact same as what we just read. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, 
verse 24 through 27. And I want you to kind of observe the following. What are the similarities between this passage and what we just read about hearing and doing the word? And then what do you think the words are that Jesus is referring to? Because this is going to then inform our understanding of James's use of the informed word. Okay? So turn to Matthew. Read it, note the similarities, and then try your best to figure out what are the words that Jesus is referring to, and how do you think that helps inform our understanding of James? I'm going to give you like two to three minutes, and then we're going to come back. So if you've been to our equip class, this is what we do, and I never give you enough time. So if you're at home, also you can do this. Uh, You have a Bible. All right, go for it. All right, we're going to come back together. Um, Kind of my goal with this is just to get you guys to engage in the text. I know that when when you're just listening to somebody, kind of maybe your mind wanders or whatever, and I just want to show you how you can kind of find these things for yourself, which is, uh, I think, just a great thing to to be able to do as a a Christian. And so what I wanted you to do is I wanted you to read this passage of the words of Jesus and, one, note the similarities because it's obvious and it's clear that James is talking about almost, he almost like in a way directly quotes, but changes just a little bit of this passage. And then Jesus actually refers to these words of mine. And then in light of that, what does, what does James mean by using the term words? Because I think he's using Jesus here. And so just to summarize what we read, and hopefully you guys were able to see in the brief period of time, is that both Jesus and James emphasize the importance of hearing and doing the word. Did you guys catch that? Oh, this sounds a lot like what James just said. The only thing that differs is the analogy. James uses this idea of someone looking at a mirror, and Jesus uses this idea of someone who is a builder. So the words that Jesus is referring to here, right, because he says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a builder, is the context. So the, the end of chapter 7 is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So Jesus here is concluding his message by saying, whoever then hears these words, what words is Jesus talking about? The Sermon on the Mount. Just go back and read 5, 6, and 7. Those are the words that Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, whoever hears these words and does them or doesn't do them will be like this or that person. And so I think this is important because we can see the direct parallels between James and Jesus here, and this is going to help us. So the question was, what, is, what does James mean by the informed word? What is the word that we're supposed to be hearing and doing? Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that what James is saying is the same thing that Jesus said. The words, the message of Jesus, James says, is the implanted word that you not just hear, but you do. So essentially, if we, if we were to revisit chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, essentially, this is my summary, James is saying, you must remove the old self, which is stained by immorality and unchecked evil, in order to humbly receive the words, the teaching, the message of Jesus that lead to life. And so the questions that we should be asking ourselves in light of this, here's some application before we move on to the next point, is this. Is there something in my life that I need to remove so I can more fully or better receive the message of Jesus or the implanted 
word. Here at the church, we did a whole series for like nine months on the Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage you to just go back this week and read it and evaluate, how am I doing with receiving the words of Jesus? Were those nine months a lot of hearing and not a lot of doing? Jesus and James would both say that uh, that's kind of a ridiculous idea, that you cannot hear the words of Jesus and fail to do them or to ignore them. So is there something in my life that I need to remove? Is there anything that's hindering me from fully accepting the words of Jesus? Maybe I just don't like what Jesus has to say. Maybe I don't agree with Jesus. Maybe I think Jesus is too harsh or too severe. You gotta remove those things. You gotta take them out of your life. You gotta identify them, strip them off so that you can receive the implanted word that leads to life. Let's go back to, uh, continue off of 21, back to 22 through 25. We're just going to revisit this paragraph and just touch on it just briefly since we already read it and kind of studied it and contrasted it to, to Jesus. But there's some good application in there as well. James uses an analogy to illustrate his point, just like Jesus uses an analogy. He says this in verse 23 through 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. The word intently that James uses here can be translated to observe or pay attention to, and it carries strong implications that the attention paid is intense. This is somebody who's like, I'm going to study myself in this mirror, and I'm going to make sure I know exactly what I look like, and which part of my face is not the same as the other part, and all those kind of imperfect, like, this is the person that's intently looking. And so, of course, as one commentator pointed out, this is a deliberately ridiculous analogy that James is using. Of course, nobody who looks at themselves in a mirror so intently can immediately forget what they look like. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. That's the point. It's the same thing that Jesus says. If you hear the word of God and you don't do it, you're a foolish person who builds their house on the sand. I don't think you need to be a general contractor to know that that's a bad idea. That's foolish. Because as soon as some trial comes in your life, as soon as a storm comes, guess what? That house is over, man. And maybe taking you along with it. James stresses how foolish it is for people to hear the words of Jesus, yet fail to do what he says. It's foolishness, according to James and according to Jesus. In verse 26 and 27 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus summarizes it this way. He says, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Again, James, one of James's primary themes is this idea of wisdom. And oftentimes wisdom is contrasted with foolishness or folly. So here we, we can see Jesus say, this person is not wise. This person is foolish. The wise person is the one who builds their house on the rock. A wise person hears the words of Jesus. You receive the words of Jesus, and you don't just hear, but you do what? You do him. And if you don't, you're foolish, according to James and according to Jesus. Again, James can be a little bit straightforward. It's a punch in the gut. But James is like, probably like, hey, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. 
Sometimes when I teach difficult things, I'm like, That's, it's the Bible, so get mad at the Bible. So once we've received the word, once we have received the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, we have removed those things that inhibit our understanding and we have fully understood and then applied it, that is what James is getting at. That is the person that is wise. And so here's an application question based off this idea of hearing and doing. Have I wisely received the words of Jesus? Meaning, I have not only heard Pastor Riz for nine months teach about the message of Jesus, but I have actually understood and have begun to apply it to my life. Are there aspects of Jesus' message that I am failing to obey or to neglect? Three chapters is a long bit, um, but it would probably take you like 10 minutes to read. And there's only a few main points that Jesus communicates in there. Um, my suggestion would be go back this week, read it, and let the Holy Spirit actually convict you and show you those areas that you have failed to actually begin to apply to your life. And there's no perfect person, so we all have areas in our lives that we can recognize so that we can then do. So what does doing look like, right? What does it look like to do the words of Jesus? James, being very practical in the last two verses of our text this morning, is going to give us an example of what that looks like. In uh, the heading of pure and undefiled religion, so the last two verses, turn with me. In a way, this is a summary of, at least I see it as a summary of the previous verses that we just read. And it ends in verse 27, which is what many commentators have noted or say is most likely James's thesis statement, which encapsulates the main idea, the heart of James's letter. James contrasts here two kinds of religious people. In verse 26, he first mentions the person who has what he calls a worthless religion. And again, he mentions this person as somebody who can't control their mouth. <laughs> it's a big deal for James. And I think that we've already touched on this person in enough detail to kind of get who this person might be in uh, verse 19 through 21. They're marked most notably by their inability to control their speech or be wise in what they say. That person, then, James, is going to contrast to the one who he calls has religion that is pure and undefiled. If you haven't noticed, everything that James is doing is just contrasting. <laughs> there's a contrast, there's a contrast, there's a contrast. There's this person, there's this person. There's this way of hearing, there's this way of hearing, right? It's kind of all talking about the same idea. And in... Uh, Verse 27, he goes on to say, religion that is pure and undefiled, so religion that is not worthless before God the Father is this. And he's going to give us two aspects to what is pure and undefiled religion. The first is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And I'm going to talk about that. And the second, he says, it is also to keep oneself unstained by the world. So you should ask yourself again, what is the deal with orphans and widows? 
I don't really see many orphans kind of sitting on the side of the street or something like that. You're kind of like, what, what, how, how are we supposed to apply this to our lives? What does it look like for us to, to care for orphans and widows? Um, it's interesting because throughout the entire Old Testament, this idea is seen so prominently throughout uh, the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets is showing God's concern for the most marginalized in our communities. Look at what Isaiah the prophet says in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You can see the parallels that James also is speaking of. He says this, Isaiah, to the people of God, the nation of Israel, he says, wash yourself, make yourself clean, remove the evil of your deeds. That idea of removing, right? James mentioned that. You have to remove the evil from your life. Cease to do evil. And instead, in in contrast, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. How do you do that? Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Again, bringing up the same marginalized group of people. So orphans and widows in that period of time were the people who were most marginalized, the ones who were most at risk, the people who had no one and no body to protect and to care for them. And so they were oftentimes taken advantage of. You guys came to our equip class on Ruth. We talked about this idea of people who were widows and how destitute they were during that time period. There was no community food hub. There was no social services. They had nothing and no one. And James says, one of the most important things in your life, if you want to do God's word, if you want to do what God desires, if you want to live according to him and have right behaviors, it's to identify the most marginalized and then do something about it. It's not enough to simply identify them and say, wow, there's a lot of really hurt people around me, so I hope that, uh, you know, the government takes care of them. No, that's that's not what God desires for his people, is to identify it and to do something about it. And I think us as a church, especially since we've moved here, I think we've done a really good job of that. I was reflecting on this. The Community Food Hub is a great example. Identifying, hey, this community is one that has a lot of needs, really practical needs. I don't know if you guys ever think about not going without food or have ever experienced hunger, but hunger is a reality for many of the people that attend this school. And so instead of just saying, wow, that's really good, let's just pray about it, which prayer is good, let's actually do something about it. Community Food Hub, feeding 800 people every single month. That's amazing. But not just that, there's people in this church who have said, I want to be involved in kids' lives. I want to uh, do chess. I want to do uh, substitute teaching or now teaching. Uh, I want to do a volleyball club. I want to do a basketball club because you realize the needs in the community, the needs with people who have uh, so little and we have been given so much. I think us as a church, we've done a really good job of this aspect. And the last thing that we're going to talk about before uh, the worship team comes up and we kind of move into a time of application is it's also important for James to realize that Yes, identifying people who are vulnerable and meeting their needs is important. That is not what it means to have a comprehensive religion. Social services or social justice is good, but it's not enough. He also says you have to keep yourself unstained 
from the world. There's personal devotion that is required if you have what is James refers to as pure and undefiled religion. The two go hand in hand. You cannot separate one from the other. But oftentimes we create false dichotomies, not just in the church, but in political life and in life in general. There's these false dichotomies that we have to be able to hold both simultaneously hand in hand. A balanced, true, pure, and undefiled religion, according to James, is one where you have personal devotion or personal piety, but also practical action, practical works. According to James, that is the one who has a religion that is worth something. And I don't know about you, but I want that type of religion for my life. So our final application I'll invite the worship team to come back up because uh, we're kind of bringing it to a conclusion. The final application is this. Based off of this idea that James is communicating, we should ask ourselves, do I have a balanced religious life? Do I spend most of my time reading and studying the Bible but not a whole lot of time uh, serving? Or maybe it's the exact opposite. I really like to do things, but the whole like, Spending time with Jesus and allowing Jesus to, to reform my beliefs and behaviors, that's kind of, that's not really a strong suit. Have I neglected to meet the needs of the most vulnerable in my community? And then the second point is, am I allowing Jesus to shape my character according to his word? And I want to leave us with this quote uh, from uh, the NIV application commentary. It says this, true religion is not merely works, but a humble receptivity to God's word so that it can develop deep roots within us, shaping our character until the natural result is the sort of good works that James extols. And I want to leave you off with this question that I think James is posing to his readers. And the question is this. What kind of hearer are you? What kind of hearer are you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of your word. Uh, God, we thank you that it's alive and active, uh, and it has extremely important and relevant things to communicate to us today. God, we thank you that we're saved by grace and not by works, God, but you desire to see uh, your people who have received so much uh, to understand what that means and to practically live that out in our lives. God, help us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to empower us to not just hear, but to do, to uh, proactively respond, to, to hear the message of Jesus, to understand what you communicated and to then begin to apply it to our lives. Show us where we uh, may have some weak points that we can better try to correct God, but also remind us of those things that we're doing pretty good. We pray that we would be a community that follows Jesus and that lives out what he says. Amen.